We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to another episode of the Golden Blogs podcast, the BearCast. We are back after a week hiatus. Uh, scheduling did not permit us to record last week, so we are down one, but that's fine. We're good. Um, you know, I think we're all in a good spot. So, yeah. Plus, so, I wouldn't have been any fun because I I literally watched one quarter of that game and I was just following on Twitter. <laughs> that's why I tweeted at you. Is like. <laughs> Important to note that it was the third quarter, because <laughs> for me, all I was getting was the tweets. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we can start off by talking about that Utah game for a little bit. I don't know if you got to see any of the, like, did you get to see, you got, you of course saw the replays of some of the highlight reel stuff. Uh, that goal line stand, was it six times in the te- within 10 yards of the goal, uh, without the end zone, and stopped them all times. Uh, there was that small mishap, you know, with the timeout. I don't know if you saw that, uh, with Kyle Whittingham. Yeah, uh, with the refs. Yeah, yeah. And I saw I I watched the Utah post game conference uh, that was up on their website, and what Whittingham explained was, he said that he called looked at the ref and he said if this play doesn't result in a touchdown, right, look to me for a timeout, and the ref said, do you want a timeout right now? And he's like, no, no, no. I mean, after the play is over, look to me for a timeout, and then the and then the ref called a timeout. Yeah. So it was just like, and then, you know. And charged it to him, right? Yeah, and charged it to him, which is why he was down to one, I believe, at the very end of the game. And then he had to use it. If they had that extra timeout, after after the missed, it was the the incomplete pass, right? But the reason they had to get, it was the incomplete pass, and then it was three seconds left. But the reason they had to get to the line so quickly was the play clock was only at 25, since it's a consecutive play. If he had the timeout, he could have set up a play, and he would have 40 seconds on the play clock. Gotcha. That could have changed Muntis, like, you know. I really think that if he had that timeout, I think they would have punched it in to settle his guys, be like, this is this is it, you know, rather than an incomplete pass, stand on the sideline, call a play, and then, like, hurry them out and, like, get it done. Because they're a huddle team, right? They're not a no-huddle team. So, um, yeah, I mean, there were certain things that worked in our favor. But then again, James Looney in that game was 
monstrous. Like he was playing out of his mind. That tackle, like yeah. where he only had one arm free <laughs> yeah, and still brings the guy down, was just awesome. He's possible. I, I think arguably our best defensive player. Him and he was totally absent in this last game. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see him once. Yeah, I saw him. A, I saw him a couple times in this last game, but it was there was no help. Like he would get into the backfield, but the center would just push him to the left or push him to the right, and the the QB would just slide. But then there was no pressure on the other end. So. Him getting into the backfield was pretty much useless. Um, so, I mean, his job is literally just to bull rush either the center or the guard and just push him back, mm-hmm. right? He's never dropping into coverage. Right. Like, even in a screen pass, you know, if it's like just a normal screen, you know, running back screen pass, he's still going after the QB. Like, he's not dropping back and reading and going after the, the running back. If anything, he's coming up from behind. Right. Grabbing him. So... In that sense, when I, when I rewatched some of the highlights, I was like, okay, Looney did his job. It was just there was no other help on the line around him. Um, and we'll get into that later. But uh, did you get to watch any of the other top 25 or any big big games this, yesterday? No, the only one I watched and it wasn't top 25 was the uh, Notre, Dame, Notre Dame game, uh, NC State, yeah. where it was a flood. Yeah. And I turned to my buddy, it was like first quarter, I was like, this is going to be six to three. <laughs> And it wasn't far off. Like, we turned it off after a little while, but that was just so much fun to watch. I would easily watch that again. I think, yeah, like, hail rain games, really fun. I mean, you and I, our freshman year at Cal, uh, the USC game. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, we lost that game, but, man, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I had a lot of fun in those stands, like, in the pouring rain, you know, just still cheering. I don't know. I, for me, that's still one of the best, like, football game moments I've ever experienced myself. I broke my phone, my wallet, <laughs> uh, the pair of jeans that I wore that day. Never warm again. I mean, the amount of things I had so many layers on, and every bit of those layers were soaked yeah. through. But yeah, it was a fun game. Twenty four seventeen, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Javid fumbling like at the four yard or like, uh, was it the like the four yard line? It was like we got into their yeah their half of the field, and then Javid fumbled it, and that was like ugh. But yeah, I, I distinctly remember going back to the dorms um, and taking off all my clothes and then, you know, going to take a shower and coming back out. And then I racked all my clothes like on like a just a normal rack. And then I hung it off the fire extinguisher on the top just so it would maybe dry off a little bit. But instead left a giant puddle underneath it because it just it just dripped all the way down. Um, I was wearing two T-shirts, a jersey. And a sweater, and it was all soaked. Like, I felt like I walked back probably with, like, two tons of water just draped around me. It was, But it was still fun. Because back then, the student section was, like, you know, it was packed week in, week out. Those were fun times. Sometimes. The good uh, old days. The good old days. <laughs> Although the student section have shown up in force of late. They I looked mean, good at Utah. They did. They mm-hmm. did. I mean, it wasn't. The stadium maybe about, so good. But. Yeah. Maybe about three or four rows at the top weren't full, hmm. but the rest were packed. Um, so judging from the Texas game to this, it wasn't that bad. It's an exciting brand of football to watch. Yeah. It's also a very frustrating brand of football to watch. It's also a very heart-throbbing and high blood pressure. I don't know if you saw Steven Anderson's tweet today. Um, let me see if I can find it uh, while we talk. Um, <laughs> I guess he was watching the game, too. Because he tweeted out, let's see, what did Steven Anderson say? 
watching Cal football will cause high blood pressure. Yeah, spot on. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, he was doing, you know, throughout throughout the entire game. Matt got ice in his veins. Let's get a stop, D. Uh, we got the momentum now, though. Just stop that dang run. Time to come up big again, D. You know, he he was watching the game. He was he's fully involved. Um, also, on a little side note, Sunday Night Football is on right now. Uh, Packers, Giants. Aaron Rodgers said Cal. Did he? He did. Change, change. Probably watched that game last night. <laughs> I was like, these guys need me. Um, that's so, great news. So he said Cal, and then Richard Rodgers starting tight end today, and he was like Cal Berkeley too. The two oh, Cal nice. guys, you know, on Sunday Night Football. That was a little fun thing to watch. Victor Cruz doing me no favors in my fantasy matchup. <laughs> He doesn't have a single point so far. No, no. But Odell Beckham just scored, so good for me. Doesn't matter for me. <laughs> Damn it, Victor Cruz. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the only other like two big games, I think, from this weekend um, was Florida State beating Miami on a blocked point after attempt. That was insane. I mean, that game went back and forth, back and forth. Twenty-three, Number 23, FSU, number 10, Miami. And then FSU, <laughs> man. Man, blocked PAT. Like, it's not even a whiff, right? It's, I don't know what's worse. Oh, you know what? I did see that. I it's, saw the highlight of it. What do you it. think's worse? Losing losing on a missed PAT or losing on a blocked PAT? Missed. Missed? Because then, then you're super angry at one person, one person <laughs> only, and I always feel bad for that person. Whereas it's like, it's blocked, and there's multiple people you can it's, blame. It's the line that's guarding the kicker, yeah. Yeah. That's how my Chargers lost today, too. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. You- <laughs> I saw that. Dropped it. Oh or he like he caught it and then he like put it down and I think just, like, I think like the, I think the ground just like either like a divot or, or something came up on him and it just the ball just kind of popped it right back yeah, up. He put it, it like at first I was like oh did he just drop it no he like caught no, he it got a good snap I mean down, he, he got grabbed it too I don't know but oh god the Chargers what is that three like that's three blown uh, leads this season. One of my friends once. McCoy gone. What do you think? Um, personally, I don't mind him staying because it's not. I don't. I look at the talent that's on this roster. The offensive line is horrendous. You know, losing Keenan two seasons consecutively does not help that offense. And then Melvin Gordon's just starting to get good. You know, he's had a pretty decent year so far, except the fumbles, but. You know, Keenan and Philip and them, they have a good they have a good thing. And you know, for me as a Charger fan who's been a Charger since right like before the LT days, like when we had both Philip and Drew Brees, um, Antonio Gates, like his career's like on the down, you know. It's 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 getting towards the end of his career. And if he's gonna stay on this team and retire with this team and he goes out with a team that sucks this bad, like, man, come on. You know, like, Tony Gonzalez moved on to Atlanta trying to win a championship. They were good for the last couple of years. And then the final year, I think they I think they at least made the playoffs. They lost to us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. They lost to the Niners. So, you know, it was, it was that kind of moment. And then he retired. So he at least tried. And it was a competitive team, you know, and he just realized it's, it's over. This just sucks if he retires and you're like, you know, like a top five pick team. It's just not the way for a Hall of Famer to go out on. So, yeah. Yeah. Also, another uh, back to college football. Michigan dropped seventy-eight on Rutgers and shut them out. Seventy-eight. 
Seventy-eight. Zero? Seventy-eight. <laughs> I don't. Oh, I just would love to have Harbaugh as my coach <laughs> of my college football team. <laughs> it's like a cheat code. It is. It, oh man! Is there? Do you think there's any other college football coaches that could literally go to any college and turn it around in two years? Saban. Okay. Um. In two years, like to what point though? To get it to the point where they're like top five. Um. Let's say let's say top fifteen. If they're Saban, if they're a team that's not in the top twenty five, let's yeah. just say they boost them to a top fifteen team. Saban, Urban Meyer, uh, Harbaugh, Harbaugh, and maybe uh, maybe FSU's coach. He's pretty good. Uh, uh Bobby Bobby Bowden? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> uh, Jimbo Fisher. Yeah, yeah, Jimbo. Bobby Bobby Bowden was the coach before him. Yeah, yeah. Jimbo, I think is there's no reason not to believe in him. Um, Dabo Sweeney right now so far with the honestly, Clemson team David Shaw man I, I yeah. know people have been like ragging on I, I think Avi had a tweet today about good coaches and left Shaw out of it and I think that's in my opinion like it's not fair well, he's done nothing besides excelled every single year with that program and yeah. everyone always says he's a bad coach and I agree to some extent that his play calling in his offense is boring and vanilla as can be but if it, it gets works. you wins, right? Yeah. If it gets you wins. And I don't think they have a recruiting advantage. And yeah. I don't think they have, like, you could say, oh, I went to, you know, Mark Richt is a good example of that. Uh, someone that went to a bigger school that maybe got away with being an average to maybe a, above average, barely above average coach. Yeah. And wouldn't be someone I'd entrust in getting that program back. But David Shaw, for sure. I don't see why not. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at... Who knows? Maybe Stanford will get antsy. They'll run him out of town, and they'll hire Trip Kelly. Yeah. No, I was I was actually I had that thought today. I was like, man, you know, if the Niners decide that Trip Kelly experiment is working out, although I think it's been like much better this year than we were last year. Yeah, you're gonna give him at least two years, in my opinion, at yeah. least. I mean, our the way we're we're playing, we're way more competitive. But um, it also helps that Eric Armstrong, Eric Armstead, and DeForest played under him. Yeah, so it's like one of those. It you're you're two defensive like, you know, foundation blocks, like this coach. Yeah. You know? So no, he'll be around. But if for whatever reason you never know uh, with the Yorks, let's say he becomes available, could you imagine the difference in having someone like a Chip Kelly lead your program at Cal versus what we saw this last weekend? And I keep going to it, but it's like just what's on my mind is, holy smokes! I mean that he. And what I was reading about, a lot of the comments today on the the rap post were about, uh, you know, why we can't have a D coordinator that can that, implement a system that is successful. Just with a Sunny solid D coordinator. Yeah. And, and I thought about it and was like, you know, Chip Kelly didn't exactly have a, uh, an offense that stayed on the field very often they mm-hmm. ran a lot they ran a lot of plays and they do it quickly but some they did have the quick stride el- element that we have um yet their defense was always not great but good like good and good is what if we, we if we were good on the defensive side of the ball just not great good, not great just good just good you'd make you can make a really good case that'd be we'd be uh, six and oh right now yeah so, I mean, realistically speaking, what, like, probably four plays away from being a 6-0, I think? 
realistically. Um, yeah, just off the top of my head, I'm thinking four, about four plays. This was the year. Yeah. This was the year to be 6-0. and Yeah. Um, Especially in the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not talking about nationally because even if you're 6-0 nationally, I don't know. We'd be creeping up in the into the top six if we were 6-0 right now. Um, I think, Especially with the strength, strength yeah, of the schedule. Yeah, I mean, we had, what, number five? It's the fifth hardest schedule in the conference, and we haven't even – or in the country, and we haven't even hit the hardest part of our of our schedule yet. Luckily, it's bottomed out. Yeah. Yeah. And we yeah. have – well, the last – out of the last six home games, four of them are home. Or out of the last six games, four of them are home. That helps. Definitely helps. Uh, but mean, one of them's Washington, so that doesn't help. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Uh, L.A., and then um, Stanford. So, all right, I got a soft topic. I did watch the Texas game. Yes. Um, Against Oklahoma? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, what games did you watch? Um, I did watch a bit of the, the Michigan-Ruckers game. Um, I just had it flipping back and forth on the channels. I watched Colorado-USC. That was, I think, the big one to watch in the morning. Um, and that one was close, like all the way through and we'll talk about it in a little bit, but yeah. Um, otherwise in the morning, what else did I watch? You know what? Weirdly, I didn't watch any SEC games this, this past weekend. Cause usually the SEC game and the ACC games are, or big, T- big 10, big 12, like all of those are up like when we get up, like if we're up at like 10, like on a Saturday and we just turn on the TV, like those mm-hmm. games have just started. Um, so yeah, but, the only one I saw that interested me was the Notre Dame game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there were any good marquee matchups. Like, in terms of top 25, like, intriguing matchups, the biggest one was the the Alabama-Arkansas, um, the one you're talking about, the Texas-Oklahoma one, um, and then SC-Colorado. Uh, and then, like, yeah, I don't think there were any any other ones that were, like, really interesting or no upsets or anything like that. It was, I mean, the Houston game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Houston against Navy, I guess that, I guess that would consider would be considered as interesting. Um, that I, I don't know. I don't know how Navy pulled that out. It was amazing though. Um, the funnier part was when they rushed the field when all the the naval cadets rushed the field. They're chanting USA as they rushed the field. And I I couldn't help but laugh just because I'm like. Okay, it makes sense why they're chanting USA, but I'm 99% sure everyone on that field is an American citizen, um, so it was, a, it was a weird moment uh, with Navy chanting USA as they beat the University of Houston, you know, like if they played like, you know, the U, the the German Naval Academy or like the English Naval Academy, like maybe, yeah, That would make sense then. Yeah, it makes sense, but... Yeah. Know, you're playing the other team could have been cheering USA, USA as well. Yeah, exactly. If anything, if you start cheering USA, like you should get everyone to just cheer it together. You know, it's just a, a big mosh pit of both the University of Houston and the Naval Academy on the middle of the field, jumping up and down, screaming USA. Um, but yeah, that game was that game was crazy. I did not expect Houston to lose like that. They gave up, I think, three hundred plus yards on the on the ground, and they were a top five rush defense in the country going into the game. So, I mean, that just cements the point of you, any given Saturday, right, mm-hmm. for college football. Really, it's any given Saturday. Um, any team can be any team. It's a why not us literally week in, week out. 
and th- that's what happened in our game. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess we'll talk about our game. Uh, just to give all the re- listeners a recap: Cal versus Oregon State in Corvallis. <sighs> Cal loses to Oregon State in overtime, forty-seven to forty-four. Uh, Cal falls to three and three on the season, one and two in the Pac-12. Oregon State is now two and three on the season and one and one in the Pac-12. So. We gave Oregon State their first Pac-12 win in 12 tries. They were overdue. Yep. And also another little interesting fact is I believe uh, the touchdown in the fourth quarter uh, by the Kalfani Muhammad one, the 50-yard run, the one where he just burst it up the seam in the middle. On fourth down. Yes, on fourth down. Um, that was what put us over the, on the over. For this game. Wow. That was the, I believe that was the touchdown that put us on the over. So, I, we've, we haven't hit the under this season. What about the Utah game? Oh, yeah. Or, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the over under wasn't that high on that one because they knew the defense of the, the Utah guys would hold us pretty well. Uh, yeah. But I don't know. I didn't check that one. But otherwise, if, if we score 40, we're hitting the over. I think that's, yeah, it's pretty easy. We're going to give up 40. Yeah. Yep. Um, just to some interesting stats, I guess, to go over. Davis Webb, uh, 44 attempts, 23 completions, only 113 yards. And that he got sacked once. That is abysmal. On the other <laughs> hand. 44 attempts. On the flip side, Kalfani Muhammad, 21 carries for 166 yards. Uh, Trey Watson, 16 carries for 134 yards. Averaged, Kalfani Muhammad averaged 7.9. Trey Watson averaged 8.4. Yeah, they both looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. As a team, in, even including Davis's Webb's, Davis Webb's sack, we averaged 7.2 yards a carry. But, but oh, that wasn't the great stat. Ryan Nall. By the way, Ryan Nall is their fullback. Ryan Nall is not their running back. He is their fullback. He's listed at fullback. You mean he's not a Heisman candidate? <laughs> yeah. Maybe um, he might be now. He might be now. <laughs> Maybe after one game, yeah, well, that uh, puts him puts him on par with <laughs> Donnell Pumphrey. Uh, Ryan Nall, fourteen carries for two hundred and twenty-one yards, three touchdowns. That's a pretty terrible average. That's an average of fifteen point eight a carry. <laughs> and then their quarterback, ten runs for one hundred and five yards, two two rushing TDs. That's ten point five a carry. <sighs> and their and their normal running back, Artavis. Our Artavis Pierce, thirteen carries, fifty-eight yards, four point five. So the so their actual starting running back ran the worst. <laughs> oh yeah, I was I thought uh, I thought Artavis <laughs> Pierce was their backup because when Nall went down, that he came in, and yeah. then their backup quarterback came in. I was yeah. like, great! So their backup quarterback handed it to their backup running back, <laughs> yeah. and they still got a rushing <laughs> touchdown. Nothing changed. No, I mean none of our wide receivers even passed fi- like. 30, or no, Vic Warden passed 37, so, or at had 37, so no, none of our wide receivers passed 40 yards receiving. That's we, a first this season. And we lost our boy. Yeah, Chad Hansen uh, was in a protective boot uh, in the game. I believe that's protocol on any, like, foot, ankle, leg injury. It's not, it's not, no. I don't think it's just protocol where if you hurt it, you, like, throw it in a boot. I think if it's... If they if it, think it's somewhere severe. Yeah, if it's anything beyond, like, you can't put weight on it, and the way he was walking off the field, I'm not surprised it was booted up. But I don't think if you just came off and, like, maybe rolled your ankle a little bit, they'd try and take oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And get you back in the game. But, yeah. 
But what I'm saying is, I mean, if it, it doesn't necessarily signal. I mean, he needs to get more tests on it. But it doesn't oh, automatically yeah. signal that you gotcha. know, he tore his ankle or he broke a bone in his ankle, right? It's, it's one of those, he couldn't put weight on it. Um, and we just won't know until tests come out. Um, so I'm it just you. could be a high ankle sprain, like a severe high ankle sprain, in which case he probably won't play the rest of this year or probably like three, four weeks. Um, and that pretty much signals the end of this season. <laughs> that was the worst thing that could have possibly happened. I, I mean, yeah, at that point, yeah, at that point, it's it not was... even his fault too. It's that, that injury. It's, it's just one of those injuries that happens in football where they get rolled up by a defender after they're while they're blocking. You know, mm-hmm. it it happens with O linemen all the time, where you're you're blocking and you're pushing forward, and the guy that you're blocking for basically hits a defender into you from behind, and he falls and just rolls up on your ankle, and you're, you just fall down. Mm. But your ankle gets caught underneath under all that weight of whoever is falling on your ankle, and it twists or it, like, folds in a, in a way your foot or knee should not fold. Um, so, uh, also uh, to note in this game, uh, post-game, Sonny said that Davis had a hand injury, the extent of which is still unknown. Um Davis Webb also said in his press conference that it was the second possession of the first half. So basically the second possession of the entire game when we got the ball back. Um, after they scored a touchdown, it was... Uh, field goal. Yeah. Did they scored that first Or field goal. Yeah. Field goal. When they scored the field goal. Um, and we got the ball back, and he said that's when he injured his hand. He said he's going to do more tests when he gets back to Berkeley. That was yesterday. Um, so who knows what that injury is. It was uh, closed for media today, right? So. It was. It was. We did not have a press conference or a teleconference today. Oh, that's also... The reason, also a little, I guess a happier note, the reason, uh, one of the reasons we did not have the teleconference today was uh, Sonny's wife was in labor yesterday uh, with their third child. I believe it's a son uh, from how we tweeted out. So she uh, is not born yet. Son's not born yet. Uh, They're still in the hospital. I believe he's at the hospital today, which is why. that's good. I'm glad he was able to be back with them. Yeah. So I, I believe that's why they didn't schedule it today. Like, the team had no practice, like, no, nothing, because, you know, Sonny, of course, was going to be at the hospital. Um, but, yeah, a little joke we had before the game started was, like, was he going to name his kid Jared or was he going to name his kid Davis? Like, it was a big, what, Javis or DeJared. DeJared. <laughs> DeJared. DeJared Dykes. DeJared Dykes. That has a good ring to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, uh, that's a little happier note. But going back to the game, you know, initial thoughts, Andy, from this? From the, like, how the game panned out? The initial thoughts are yeah. going to be pretty dark. Uh, <laughs> Should we do favorite mo- moments? For yeah, let's, let's, uh, yeah, I mean, we go, went over the stats. Uh, let's, yeah, let's go over some of uh, your favorite moments from the game. Good I, moments. My favorite moment by far was seeing Trey Watson repeat his performance that he, did, that he had from one year ago. Against ASU. Against Oregon State. Oh, against or- that's right. That's right. Yeah. And he sort of, you know, you could tell he really wanted it, and you could tell that out of anyone on the offensive side of the ball uh, that wasn't named Calfani, I think his effort brought us back into the game. Yep. He was putting on, like, spin moves, making really smart cuts, running to the middle of the field where they're super – had no depth, and I was – Blown away by the fact that we decided to not attack that linebacker core. Yeah. There is not a single player. They lost their line. Their linebacker got hurt. They're on their fourth yeah. linebacker who's a true freshman. And we avoided the middle of the field in our passing game. Like, it was 
the best unit they had. And so I thought seeing him take advantage of that was uh, a breath of fresh air and brought us back to, to where we got the game to. Yeah, I mean, most of his runs came in the second half, too. Like, mm-hmm. he did not get a lot of touches in the first. And then the, the third and fourth quarter, he just start, He, There's no other words to explain it. He ran mad. Like, you saw it when he was fighting for every yard. It was, I don't know what we did. Like, I don't know, like, whether we held him back all the, the first quarter, or first half, and then we unleashed him in the second half is basically what happened, right? Um, but, I mean, the guy was... Yeah, the guy was running mad. I don't know how any words to describe it. Like, I've never... It's been a while since I've seen one of our running backs run like that. Like, Halfani's just... He's just solid, right? I've never seen anyone, like, run with anger. And you can see him, like, just plowing through guys, spin-moving, juking, stiff-arming, like, doing whatever he could to get, you know, the first down or the extra two, three yards after contact. Yeah, that was pretty insane to watch. What about you? Uh, favorite moment. I mean, mounting the comeback in the fourth, I think that was pretty impressive. Judging by just by the fact, pure fact that our offense was crap all game. Literal crap all game. I believe we only gave up... We only... We only stopped them once. Like, punt-wise, I believe. Yeah, we forced our first punt so they punt, five they punted, minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Yeah, they punted twice. Yeah, and it was the punt in the with five minutes ago, <laughs> yeah. and the punt with like under two minutes. Yeah, ago. yeah, yeah, crazy. Uh, but so many moments. I think favorite moments for me in this game is at least the fact that we went to D Rob so much. We threw him quite a bit. Um, I don't know what the targeting was uh, for this. I don't have the stats for that, but I mean he was targeted quite a bit. You know, over the middle he had that drop. Um, over the also another over the middle he you know almost that targeting call which was called back you know in my opinion it wasn't a targeting call uh, but it was just a hard hit I might have given it just as a defenseless receiver call just because mm-hmm. he was he was coming down and he was turning but he just hit him so hard I think which the, is, uh, it's official, a the Pac-12 whoever official they brought in said that he was a defenseless receiver yeah but it wasn't targeting yeah so yeah I like the fact that we went to D-Rob a lot. Um, and I like the fact that later on in the game, once Chad went down, like it seemed like we went to Wharton, right? We tried to get it to Mokis, we tried to get it to BC, we tried to get it to Singleton, but just way too many screen passes, you know, bubble screens, like just on the left and right. I don't even mind the call. We can get into this. We can get. I don't. In. I don't mind the call. Yeah, actually, I the execution was the problem. All right, I guess let's go into our name, nightmare moments. All right, we're talking. I guess we'll tar- start with the the execution of certain plays. I think just we can just look at it as a whole. Okay, let's look at it as a whole. If there was the the worst case scenario, this was the exact <laughs> worst case scenario that I could have possibly imagined this this game coming. Could to. you even have imagined how it how, if it ended like this? Like, would you have imagined our offense to be this bad? No, <laughs> no, I didn't think that was possible. But I did think it was entirely possible. We overlooked the, the opponent. Yeah, and you know we came off the Utah win. Defense made a nice stand. Look at that four and two record hosting Oregon at home, and say we go up to an Oregon State team that is, you know, at best a hundred and first or something in the country with, with in pass and rush defense. You're like, okay, matchups fantastic. Haven't won a Pac-12 game in well over a year, and uh, and then we we showed it. So we start off, and you know, we immediately go three and out on 
just a terrible first possession. Oh, God. Give them the ball. Let them come down in whole field. Make a nice stand. Then on the ensuing kickoff, Demetrius Robertson drops the ball in the end zone. Malik McMorris picks it up. Someone's forced to do a block in the back to, in order to make sure that he can even get to the 10-yard line. We start at the 6. And all of a sudden, it was like, oh, here we go. Those are like the mental mistakes that are absolutely unacceptable to be making against any opponent and to think that you can get away with making those against a Pac-12 opponent like Oregon State. Gary Anderson's a good coach. Like, he's a good football coach. What he did at Wisconsin and what he did at Utah State were nothing short of impressive. How in the world we came in, in my opinion, so, even on defense, it just felt like we had no life. They even said it. It was like there weren't a lot of communication. Didn't seem like anyone, I think Davison said it in his presser. Yeah. And it was obvious. It was so obvious. Everyone looked like they just came out of like winter hibernation. And I'm not trying to make a bear pun out of this. Like it, that's what it looked like, right? It looked, it literally looked like they went on vacation for two weeks, and they didn't practice. And it was, oh, we got a football game tomorrow. Like let's, all right, let's get suited up, let's play. And then you know, like it, it literally took until like the end of the third to like finally find their feet. And that's when you started to see the defense get a little bit more swarming, like a little bit more, I don't know, aggressive, I guess. And it wasn't the best of aggressions because, you know, what happens when they come out of halftime, first thing that happens, 80-yard run play by their fullback. How the heck did none of our defensive guys catch up to their fullback? I don't understand. Um, and I rewatched that that play a bunch of times. Missed tackles by the linemen, missed tack- uh, arm tackles by the linebackers, and then bad tracking angles by the safeties. Luke. That's, that's what ended that play. Um, and I know my buddy Solomon, um, he, you know, he was at my place and we were watching the game together. He, he, he played safety in, in high school. And he's like, the first thing they teach you is the sideline is your best friend. Like you take away the cutback and you force them to the edge. And if he stutter steps, then you just stand and contain him until a teammate comes to help. Standard, just football 101. We don't do that. Like, and I know, I think the biggest thing that people had issues with, especially with that null one, was at the very end of that run, um, I think two of our cornerbacks, I can't remember, I, I think it was Vanderbilt, and uh, I can't remember who the other one was, but they get there, they get to him. Except instead of trying to take him down, they go for the strip. They're going for the strip, and all night we did. We did that all night. Yeah, we'd go for the ball, go for the ball, and I always went back to that quote that you had that was like, "We aim for these three turnovers and wonder if, if it's an actual strategy. We're like, yeah, give up the extra yard and go for the turnover, but it seems so silly. So here's something that I have haven't talked about, but I will talk about now in practice when you. When I watch practice all throughout fall camp, all throughout spring, when they go into their separate groups, right, one of the things they practice as a team, like the linebackers, the safeties and all, is one guy will kind of high-step jog, and the other guy will come from behind him and try to knock the ball out. But that's that's the basically the only drill they're doing. While all the other groupings, right, the quarterbacks are doing that that drill that you see with Marshawn where he runs and then steps around and then throws. Like, that's 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 basic necessities, right? You know, the linemen are going under the 
I don't know what that thing is, that shelf-looking thing with the cones to get your stance lower. Mm-hmm. Basics for O-line. D-linemen are doing the, the run-around around the hula hoop with the ball, you know, to, to, to get their edge speed, right? Mm-hmm. Those are all basics based on that position. The linebackers and safeties, the basis of their position, regardless of whether you play man, zone, blitz, like, it doesn't matter, right? It's tackling. It's, it's, there's, there's no other, there's no other basic that you need, but instead of running the tackling, which we know has been any layman who's watched Cal football over the last three years has known our defense. The biggest issue is our tackling. It's the angles we take on tackles and the basic form of tackling, like not arm tackling, getting your body into him and driving your feet until he's either out of bounds or he's on the ground. And if we're not practicing that, but instead practicing strips, right, and trying to punch the ball out, that you're you're building as as you know, we said we want to build our offense and team our defense like on tendencies, right? Yeah, then then of course, that's the immediate thing that our players are going to go for. Instead of just trying to wrestle him to the ground, they're going to try and knock the ball out, and. That was just so frustrating to watch. Like, easily, easily you could have dragged Nall down and let's say at the five. That still gives you a shot to either hold him to a field goal or maybe get another turnover because you have, because you've set them up, right, that you can play defense for another down. Instead, you're going in there with a fullback who's probably bigger than you and stronger than you. You're trying to punch the ball out of his hand. I don't know how much that's going to work. I just, I just don't. And it's not like... We've forced turnovers like that all season long, right? Like, the two interceptions we got, the one pick six we got and then the other interception, like, the pick six was, like, really lucky. Like, Davison was there at the right time, at the right moment, and it just happened. The ball bounced off of, I don't remember who the, the receiver was. It might have been Villeman or Bolden, and, you know, Marlachon kind of wrapped him wrapped around him, and it fell into Davis's hands, and he just ran it toward the end zone, like, Yes, that's a turnover, and yes, that's six po- or seven points, but that's not like a skilled, you know, turnover, right? It's not one of those ball hawked ones, nor is it one of those where we he it's a it's a running back running through the gap and we literally punched it out. Um, like those are skilled, but and those are opportune turnovers, whereas. When we're trying to strip strip the ball from Nall, like that's not an opportune moment. Like the the smart football move is to just get him down and set up and play defense again. I'm not trying to force a turnover just because it's like a you think it's the last gasp thing to do. You know? It's the beginning of the third quarter. Like we don't we're not dire for the ball back. We just need a solid defensive stand. So I think that's I was just he was first Solomon was absolutely blowing up at the TV screen. Um, Yeah. The tackling. The tackling. Tackling. There's there's so many nightmare moments. (laughs) I... Yeah, so you have the defensive side of the ball. You have everyone looking like totally unprepared. Everyone's lethargic. On the offensive side of the ball. Oh, here we go. You have Davis Webb, who is missing receivers by... Yards, yards, and throwing like, like so. That's what I was saying earlier. Is like I don't mind the screen call as much, 
we just failed in our execution of it. There were a couple that were just like situationally like why would you like one one time he like looked to Hanson when Stovall was wide open in the same place he could have thrown yeah. to either one he like throws it to Hanson who gets tackled and Stovall probably would have taken it for a gain. There was another There's one where this. it was Stovall like on a on like an inside route towards to the right hash mark and then I think he expected Hanson to run a, a curl but instead Hanson was basically on a go route and he threw basically right over Stovall and behind Hanson to just landed into grass. Mm. Right? Like Yeah. <laughs> All of that, like, I, I just felt like a lot of the screenplays, the balls were at their ankles. Yeah. And so the receivers, the timing was off. It wasn't even, he wasn't, his release was slower. And so when the play would be set up, by the time you couldn't it was hit set him up, in stride. Yeah, exactly. And I am blown away if the coaches all knew about this injury and the Sonny knows, knows about this injury. Which it, it's definitely sounding like he did. How in the world did we not throw in a backup? Someone that can throw that ball. I don't. I don't understand either. I, I mean, you look at who we have on the roster, right? Forrest is. He's not great. He's got a lot of experience, though. Yeah, but he's he's can more than manage a game, right? Like he's, I'd say he's on the level of Kevin Hogan. Like he's a pretty accurate passer. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a, he's a game manager, right? He might not have the arm of Kevin Hogan, but, um, but either way, like he's he's just a solid game manager. I kind of put him at, with the Alex Smith mold. Um, you can put immediate, not, not college Alex Smith. Not college Alex Smith. Uh, <laughs> right now, Kansas City Alex Smith. Um, or you can put in Bowers behind him, who people have been raving about all camp. You know, And has shown that he can throw every single ball. It's just the only thing is he doesn't have game time experience. You know, personally, I would... But he has an added element because he's a little bit more of a runner than Davis exactly. Wood. And... We saw how well that it can work, and Oregon State's quarterback can't throw for it. He can't throw at all. The guy could not throw the football. And he couldn't. He's not known to be a runner, and yet we opened up running lanes that, like, was like the yellow brick road to the to the end zone. Like, I'd... <laughs> you know, the first one was... The first touchdown that he, for run that he had was just wide. Hmm. The one in overtime was, please waltz in. One in um, overtime. Rubenzer had a bad track. I mean, it was bad. Because he juked, he juked Rubenzer out. Rubenzer was the last man behind. And Rubenzer came flying in from the right to the left. And then Garrison just kind of hop-stepped over to the right. And he just went flying by him. It says something about how well blocked we were. That he literally, the snap was so far left. And he had to pop the ball to himself. Yeah. Caught it. And still had a big enough lane. Yeah. Uh, devastating. Um, yeah, I mean, the, that whole offensive situation and what we did there and why we stuck with our passing game plan for so long. I mean, we looked pedestrian on every single possession in the first half. What We scored three points. Yeah. We didn't have an offensive touchdown. Nope. Why yep. in the world... In a system like this one, would you let yourself be relegated to three points if your quarterback was hurt? Three points. <laughs> I don't know, man. Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't it just doesn't make any sense. Like and, and then from so many other levels to to get somebody at least Bowers or even Forrest in there who can get game experience 
and feel it out against an opponent like Oregon State. This isn't like we were playing Stanford. We're playing Oregon State. Why not let him get the game experience and let Davis Webb just get his hand right? You know, per you know, for me, it was one of those. You know, at what was it? Um, we were down. Let's see, twenty four. We were down 24-17 at the end of the third, right? And for me, I had this moment where mm, I said... 27, yeah, 27-14. Yeah, yeah. Um, Wait, is that right? No, it's uh, it's 24-17. Yeah. Really? Yeah, at oh. the end of the third. Okay. Uh, I, I just, I remember saying if, after I heard that Davis Webb had injured his hand... I said, okay, maybe if you put in Bowers or Forrest, people might think that you're throwing the game. But for me, in my opinion, or anyone who's watched Cal football to that extent, it could have just been like a breath of fresh air. Because the offense was stagnant up until that point. You had subbed in every single wide receiver possible. You had subbed in every single running back possible. Heck, you even subbed in every offensive lineman possible. Um, And the one position you didn't give a shot to change. Right, and granted, it's one of those positions that you don't want to change. Like, you know, you know, two QB systems don't work, right? But if you know your starting quarterback is pseudo injured with his throwing hand, where he can't even grip the ball, that's what Sonny said. Or that's was it Sonny or was it? It was Sonny who said in his press conference he couldn't grip the ball right. If you know that's the case, like if it's his non-throwing hand, okay, maybe right, just because it, it it's not really necessary. It's just a holder. But if you can't grip the ball with your the throwing hand, you're not going to get the right spin you want on it. You're not going to get the right release on it. And it's going to hurt when you're trying to cock back to throw. If that's the case, and, it, and, that's, and that's the biggest part of your offense, right, is that that ball needs to be thrown by the quarterback's arm to a, to a perfect tee, right, in, that, in this offense. And if one of those cogs are broken, you need to replace it. You can't replace an arm, right, or a hand. You got to replace the quarterback. And if anything, I think most of us would have been like, "All right, maybe Davis is hurt. All right, and let's give it a shot. Right? Let's what the hell? Right? Let's try it with Ross. Let's try it with. I think Ross was the number two quarterback, I believe, too. Hmm. So I was. I would just try anything to get us the win. I mean, if your offense is that stagnant. And you've been dropping forty basically on everyone up until last week, the Utah game, and even in the Utah game, like we had our moments. Like, Doesn't we, even matter because it's not Utah we're playing against. We're playing against exactly, Oregon State. Exactly, exactly. I think, and the Calfani run for me, right, fifty yard run. What was that off of? The one play I hate the most, but worked to perfection. The draw. The draw. Yeah. It was the draw, and. You knew that would work because they pushed. Every, they were basically playing a prevent defense, right? They had, they had what the their three linemen, and then they had their three middle linebackers play. Basically, like two of them were outside the box. Like it was the only middle linebacker that was actually in the box, um, and they were all playing basically zone or man out to the other receivers. Run that down the middle every time. Like if they're give, if they're not stacking the box with more than five bodies, you're winning that battle when the old linemen push up. No question. Just, it's basic math, right? Five versus three, five wins. That's just, that's just how it is, especially if it's contact, too. So, yeah, I, 
Yeah, I guess the the play calling and the execution. The play calling, yeah. For me, the play calling. I some people tweet. I was tweeting off the Golden Blocks thing, and some people tweeted at me saying the play calling is abysmal. I don't think the play calling is abysmal. We, that's our standard type of play calling, you know. Uh, and people were upset that we're not going for it on fourth down and stuff like that, and how we punted it. Uh, how we punted it like in their 40, 40 yard line, and I was like, well, I mean, that's not a bad call. Like it's, you can't judge play calling based off of one punt. We right? went for it a lot on fourth down too. We did. We got lucky in how many times we converted. We it. did. I'm just. I was just. I was just frustrated at the guy because I was saying, you can't say play calling is bad just because we punted in their territory. Yeah. Like we go for it so often that it may seem like that's the the mantra of our offense, but if the coach feels like you know it, it'll be better to flip the field instead of trying for it and not getting it and then getting shorter a shorter field to work with, then yeah, I mean, that that's all fine. And that's clearly what was happening, right? Yeah. Is they were just, they, they, God, their offensive line just destroyed our defensive line. Well, the punt, the punt in the situation I think you're talking about was right after the interception that yeah. we had after Davis went through his first pick. And, and so we intercepted back with Trey Turner and the good play by Devontae. Yeah. And that was symptomatic that punt is not the issue. Yeah, it's I'll tell that's you not what the issue was. That drive and the whole game penalties. Yeah, it was often. I don't even know. Do we have stats on that? I no, I we don't. Would love to know how many yards we gave up in penalties. So that drive, I think it was a holding call. So we start off in what maybe like inside of their right outside of their forty. I think it was Cochran. Hate to put blame on him, but I'm pretty sure it was. Uh, so Cal had ten penalties for eighty five yards. Yeah, I just felt like we were getting flagged for stupid plays. So holding call on first down puts us in first and 20. We get into second 20, and we can't come out from underneath the deficit, and we got pushed back outside of, you know, inside our own 45, and all of a sudden, yeah, we had to punt the ball away. Um, We had the face mask penalty after the Oregon State quarterback threw the ball. Um, We had uh, just, like, countless – uh, there's a pass interference. How about Cochran getting called for blocking seven yards downfield yeah. on the first down run, um, blocking the back on the kick return? Just like he got every, called for a couple holding or a couple of false starts too. False, yeah, the false start at the uh, Stuky at the freaking yeah. one yard line yeah. when we had the ball first and goal at the one. All of a sudden, it's first and goal at the granted, five. That still, at, that, granted, that still ended up in the touchdown, but no. still, no, oh, was that not field goal? Was that not that the was, Davis Webb run? No. That, was that the field goal? That was the field goal that Matt Anderson barely made. And what happened there was we got pushed back, which we do all the time. Every game that I've watched, it, it drives me absolutely crazy. We never play a clean game as far as the, the Zebras go. And it, it kills us. I mean, it kills us. Gorsi was the one who said in the booth when we were playing against Texas that every single touchdown they had was by a cow penalty. And that seems to continually repeat itself every single week. But particularly this week, it was devastating. Um, and these are a lot of these, a lot of the mistakes that we did, you know, the, for the penalties are just mental mistakes. Mind blowing. Late yeah. hit by yeah. a guy that took a knee yeah. or uh, uh, a I, personal foul against a guy to give him a fresh set of downs against Utah. Yeah. Like, huge. Execution errors. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these, like, it's not, they're not issues that we can blame the ref on, right? It's mm-hmm. it's just us. Like, false starts, who is it? It's it's on you. Like, there's, there, it's just, it's just you. 
holding calls, that's just you. Just disengage if he gets past you. Like it's just that's just how it is. You know, the the personal the personal fouls on, you know, hitting uh late hits and stuff, that's on you. And I so remember that uh Jordan Kanazic that um that late hit. And I did you see the replay too with Jalen Hawkins? Mm-hmm. Yeah, where, where he, he just like you just Jalen Hawkins is is absolutely pissed because he knew like they had him pinned. Except you see Jordan Knezic hit him late, and he's just, are you kidding me? Like they that was a great special teams punt, you know, great special teams play. Oh, and it was that was horrific. I mean, yeah, it was. I mean, once again. For me, the biggest point, I always talk about this stat. I, I, I don't know why I like talking about the stat, but I do. Your leading tackler is your safety. Mm, yeah. All right. I mean, well, I mean, tied leading tackler is Raymond Davison, your your uh, linebacker with four solo, three assisted, so seven. Kyrie Vanderbilt with four solo and three assisted at seven. And James Looney at seven as well with two solo and five assisted. I mean, just looking at that alone, that means tackles occurred at every level, right? It it wasn't it wasn't the normal spread you want are most of your tackles by coming by your D line, then by your linebackers, and then by your safeties. Like that's the average progression you progression you want. But if one of the guys at the top is your safety, that mean and your linebackers, that means they're getting into the second level. It's a. I mean, it's what perhaps is a little more. Revealing is that we only had one tackle for loss. Yep. Then, no sacks. Yeah. Zero sacks. And there you go. And that's exactly what you're saying is, you know, they're they're not being made behind the line. And they had, we had chances though. We just didn't learn we don't know how to tackle. They had a sack and they had six tackles for losses. So mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot on those screen plays when the ball was thrown late and at the ankles and VC sitting there trying to pick up a ball on the ground. Defender's already on him or Stovall. Yeah. You name it. You know, like, if his knees already hit the ground, then college ball, you're down there. Yeah, we have these guys that, like Stovall, who is dynamic, and they have, you know, a very, not nearly as talented a defense as the other ones we've played against, but can't get him the ball. Nope. Can't give him a chance to make a play. Nope. All right. I think I think that's enough talk about this game. I think we sh- we need to bury it. Fine. Let's bury it. I need to bury it. Bury it in the backyard. We need to and bury it. Don't plan on ever talking about it ever again. Back up again soon. All right. <laughs> I, oh man, uh, we, I went through some serious mental progressions yeah. watching that game. All right, let's go over some of the Pac-12 games that happened this week. Um, and we have we have a, another topic we want to talk about, but I guess we'll talk about that at the end of closing. Uh, but first off, uh, I'll just read you the games and the scores. Andy, tell me if you uh, watched it or okay. Are intrigued by what happened. Uh, number five, Washington at Oregon. Washington wins seventy to twenty-one. Yeah, goodbye, decade of dominance. <laughs> Jake Browning accounted for eight touchdowns in this game. By oh, the way, Oregon started a freshman, right? Yep, yep. So, what's the deal? Crew Cup isn't isn't good enough, or I, I guess not. I guess not. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, they had Travis Johnson, which I was hoping he would start because um, I like the kid. Former his former name was Travis Waller. Oh, he almost committed to us. Yeah, a, a, a year two a year two ago. Dual threat. Yeah, the dual mm-hmm. threat QB. Um, so he's he's a sophomore now and he's not starting. So me. <laughs> All right. Yeah. 
All right, on to the next one. Washington State, 42, number 15, Stanford, 16, in Palo Alto, by the way. I didn't watch, um, but I didn't have time to be happy with the end result because it didn't matter. We lost to Oregon State. Washington State's a good team. Washington State is an example of a team that has a dynamic offense very much similar to ours that plays really good brand of defense. And a decent defense. Mm -hmm. A decent defense. 16? That's (laughs) Way better than what I, I mean, which by sixteen. Which by the way, McCaffrey was injured in this game. He did have like a like a back support thing he was wearing, like halfway, maybe like the third quarter ish. He started wearing one and he was trying to jog it off and stuff like that, but it just wasn't. He wasn't feeling it. Um, so there, there was that, but at the same time, I turned, I tuned this on, and then it showed like the stadium, and it was empty. It was literally it, it. It felt like they were playing a, an exhibition game. That's how empty it was. I was like, "How do guys still want to play for Stanford? Like, how do you go to these games? Like, if you're a recruit, right, and you go to this game, like, I'm I'm sure recruits were at this game. I'm ninety nine percent sure there were recruits at this game. <laughs> and you're playing football for a team that's top fifteen in the country, and just because you're down fourteen to three at halftime. The stadium empties out. I don't understand. I just don't. We'll see how many people, how many Cal fans show up for the Oregon game, though. Yeah, I think that'll be key. Mm-hmm. Although it's it seven thirty kickoff on a Friday night, not bad. I mean, there's, yeah, why not? I don't think there's not. I don't think there's a lot of better ways to spend a Friday night other than watching a college football game. You know, under the under the floodlights. I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, next one, number twenty one, Colorado at the Coliseum. Loses to USC 21-17. I heard it was a good game. It was a good game. Um, I mean, this one went back and forth, back and forth. It was it was purely defense, right? You know, USC scored seven in the first, then seven in the second, and then Colorado answers with seven in the third, and then ten in the fourth quarter. But USC answers with the final touchdown at the end of the game. So it was, it was really back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Uh, Montez is actually pretty good, uh, in my opinion. I just feel bad for Sefo because if you're McIntyre, like this is this is the Niners conundrum from a couple from a few years back. It's Alex Smith goes Alex Smith goes out with an injury. Kaepernick comes in, plays amazing, but up until that point, Alex Smith was playing amazing football. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? Do you bring back the starter? Or do you keep riding the hot hand? You know, like and. That w- that's what the question is right now between Montez and Sefo is Sefo's standing there. And McIntyre explained it as saying, you know, he's not 100% ready. But if Mon- something were to happen to Montez, Sefo is able to come in and step in and play. Um, so, yeah, I looked at that and that's that's a tough call as a, as a coach. You really, I mean, you had that. Sefo has been with you through the downs and the ups, and now you're on the up-up. And, but the backup quarterback is, has the hotter hand. Ugh, like, what do you do? So, yeah, I'm, it'll be interesting to see how they play it out next week. So, we'll see how that goes. All right, the next one, Arizona at number 24, Utah. Utah wins 36-23. And there's nothing more to say about this one. I mean, our mind I, I just want winning him to come coach. <laughs> <laughs> He's a great coach. Uh, he is. Uh, we'll skip over that one. We'll skip over the Cal Oregon State one. <laughs> and then we'll go to uh, UCLA at Arizona State. Arizona State wins 23 to 20. Uh, that's, that was a sh- – that was a – Rosen got hurt. 
He got hurt twice. That's the crazier part. He went out in the first half. Oh. He came back, and then he went out again. Wow. Yeah, is more on the hot seat for sure. Yeah. But still, Rosen, 24-43, 400 yards and two touchdowns, despite two injuries. Not yeah, bad. That's a good game. <laughs> Not well, Everything's bad. up in the air in this conference. Yep. Nothing, like everything here, none of this makes sense. You know what the crazier part is? That the Apple Cup, the game between Washington State and Washington, could potentially decide the Pac-12 North. How that <laughs> has changed in four, three or four years is... That's a crazy shift. How that's changed from last year. Mm-hmm. Jeez. You've got to be kidding me. All right. Um, I'll go over the Pac-12 games for next week, or this upcoming week, since we have a bye week, so we're not playing this week. Um, and just tell me if you're intrigued by this, uh, just so people know where to watch and what to watch. I'm going to make a hot take on each one. All right. Go for it. Saturday, October 15th, all five games are on. So 12.30 p.m., USC at Arizona on Fox. Sport, on Fox. Okay. Arizona wins. Ooh. Oh, hot take? Yeah, that's my hot take. Wow, okay, okay. Oh, Arizona's 0-3 in the Pac-12 right now. That's fine. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's got to be hot for a reason. All right, number 24, at Utah at Oregon State, 1 p.m. Pacific on Pac-12 Network. I think Utah wins, and I think they're going to win the South. There you go. How, hot take how, number two. How crazy would it be if Oregon State won? And how bad would Utah feel? <laughs> If uh, Oregon State won, it would make me feel a lot better. It would. But I don't think there's any chance. No. Because Utah is just going to run the ball to the middle of the field where their linebackers are, and they don't have any linebackers, <laughs> and they're not going to be able to stop it. And their defense isn't going to give up <laughs> a million yards rushing to their the, fullback. Just looking at this thing right here, the cheapest ticket for the Utah-Oregon State game is $9 on StubHub. It's a hot hot ticket right there. Uh, The next one, 4.30 p.m. on NBC, number 15, Stanford at Notre Dame. Well, they won't be number 15 anymore, but... Stanford's going to smash. Okay. Next one, 5 p.m. Pacific on Pac-12 Network, Arizona State at at Colorado. Oh. That's a tough one. Um, Honestly, I have no idea. What what do you think? I'm calling Arizona State. Wow, really? Yeah. I, I really think... So they Manny Wilkins was out, so they played Brady White. If you remember who Brady White is, that's the quarterback from two years ago with that Josh Rosen class that Cal went after hard. Mm-hmm. We went after Brady White hard. We went after uh, Josh Rosen hard. We went after Travis Johnson or Travis Waller, Waller hard, yep. uh, but we ended up getting Ross Bowers. Like he, that that was like a really good class of quarterbacks that we went after. Uh, Deshaun Watson also on that list. Um. So yeah, I I really think if Brady White plays, I think he this is his like welcome entrance game. Um, because he played this past game and it he because Wilkins is hurt. Yeah. Oh. So you know, I I think Wilkins does come back, but I'm just saying my hot take is if Brady White plays, this is his welcome. Hello, Pac-12. I'm Brady White game. It's one of those. All right, the last one uh, this Saturday, seven thirty Pacific, seven thirty p.m. Pacific on ESPN. UCLA at Washington State. Washington State, go Cougs! <laughs> I think they're gonna Mike uh, Leach. Yeah, Mike Leach, man, the pirate. If only he could pass off his knowledge to us. Yeah. Well, he has some. I mean, he's talked about dating and how we should always have a two for one coupon in our pockets just in case, um, or maybe take him sturgeon fishing because he said that'll be a one hell of a first date. 
Well, yeah. <laughs> He's passed on knowledge. Such <laughs> a funny qualification. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, so that wraps it up for football. Uh, we'll go on to basketball talk for a little bit. Um, two things of note. Uh, first of all, Ira Lee, my man Ira Lee, sends out a cryptic tweet of him in a Cal jersey. I believe those were the, it was a picture probably taken when he was on his unofficial here, when they you know get to try on the jersey and take pictures and stuff. And the caption for the photo was decisions, decisions, decisions. It looked good with a little smirk. Yeah, he looked good in that number twenty three jersey. Jabari's leaving in a year, so you know I wouldn't mind him taking on that number twenty three jersey. Uh, and then of course uh, this one's pretty interesting. Uh, Jab- Jab- I'm gonna put your name Jabri or Jabri. Abdur Rahim, yes. He is the son of Sharif Abdur Rahim. Uh, he's a freshman in high school, and he's apparently gaining interest from a lot of teams. Mm-hmm. Cal of which, uh, one of which is Cal. Great so, ties. Great ties. Great ties. Man, how cool would that be? How, how cool would it be if we ended up pulling him with Shaq's kid? Yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be, that'd be crazy. That'd be crazy. Sharif Abdur Rahim's son playing with Shaq's kid. Where's Jason Kidd's at? Jason's kid, Jason Kidd's kid. <laughs> Jason Kidd's kid? I don't know. Does he have a son? I, know he has, I think he has a daughter. I think he has, yeah, I think he has a daughter, too. I don't know if he has a son. That's okay. That's fine. Where's she at? I don't know. Sign her up. Yep. Lindsey Gottlieb, you got this. You got this, Gottlieb. Speaking of basketball. <sighs> yes. When does preseason start? And Or, like, when does like, the practice Cal begins. Practices have started up since last week. Great. Their first game, I believe, is on November 11th against uh, South Dakota State or North Dakota State. Some weird one. So football continues to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Down. Yeah. And basketball is. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> on the upswing. Um, I have so much more hype every year now due to last year's recruiting class with Konzo than I have, like, anything else, like. If, you, if For those of you who are betting people, Ivan Rabb is the third favorite to win National Player of the Year by Vegas. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Has he put on a lot of weight? Have you seen him? I have not yet. I have not been able to go to practice yet. Well, once I do, I will let you know. But apparently, apparently, um, his his three-point shot is looking mighty pretty. Really? Yeah. And oh, we so saw that last year, like too, right? Four. Yeah. You remember where we saw that? I mean, that top of the key three he hit against Arizona in Tucson. Mm-hmm. That was huge. Um, and apparently he's been working on that all of last year. And then finally, I think this is the year where he's confident enough to start taking it um, in game, in, you know, running pick and props. I, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll get a, a basketball preview next week going, but I, I really like this team. I, we lost Ty. We lost um, Jalen. But I, I really think that this team is more balanced now. I really oh we lost J Matt too by the way, so I I really do think that this team might be better than last year's. I really think that. Hmm. I love Grant Mullins what he brings. I I Charlie Moore is going to be a revelation in my opinion. I think he's going to be a better version of Jerome Randall. I think that's how good he's going to be. And him running the pick and pop and pick and roll with Ivan, oh Lord have mercy on the defenders for that play. Oh, Lord have mercy for them. Uh, But I guess just to wrap up, we had a little topic that we wanted to discuss. Um, Wanted to go extreme cases, all right? Like just 
here's since it's the bye week and we can go interesting. Right, we're going to go extreme cases. Let's start. Let's start with if Cal wins out the second half of the season. Let's say we somehow beat Washington as well. Okay, what happens in your opinion? So we're three and three. We win the last six. We're nine and three to end this year. Clearly a bowl game. <laughs> that was my prediction that we we're going to get nine yeah. wins. Um. Mm-hmm. So what just what happens in general? Yeah. I mean, I think you see some of the I mean, we got a couple of recruits, right, after the Utah win. I mm-hmm. think we got a no line recruit. Mm-hmm. Um some of that momentum. I mean, I feel like we're in the running for some pretty big players, Najee and, and included and in that. Cam Akers. Yeah. So maybe that has some sort of um like a snowball effect. And I don't know. I, I'm still kind of weirded out by everything that went down last year with, you know, the whole Dykes wandering eye, yeah. taking all those interviews. And we have still really haven't really received a comment on whether or not it was him going out and truly trying to get that money for the assistance or if he was like, he was, he was underpaid. People talk about the extension and all this. Why did we give him extension? He was underpaid. Like the extension was warranted. So I'm not mad about the extension. I just think, is that something that if he was at that nine win threshold, and if, Some other team came calling. Yeah, because there were a, a ton of negative reports that came out about his opinion of Cal and the AD and what he had to go through, the bureaucracy. I totally understand. That's the university we went to. We yep. get it. So with nine wins underneath your belt, is that something that resurfaces, or is it just cool, calm, Cal's on the uprise in the Pac-12? That's, but the problem, the problem with that is that is what was in front of us had we won the game against Oregon State. Because then you can lose the game against Washington and beat an Oregon and beat a down SC. And, and potentially beat an L.A. too. Yeah. The way they're playing right when now. When you say L.A., like, I've marked that. I mean, in Berkeley. Yeah. And we play well at home, and then you get Stanford coming in with who knows what's going on with them. Yeah. Yeah, you had a realistic chance at putting yourself. Like you could have easily got I – think, I think you could have even put the goal at 10 wins. Mm-hmm. You could have put the goal at 10 wins. If you're going into this four – was it four and two? Four and two and two and one in the Pac-12. Yeah. And look at, I mean, if you look at down the record of that sheet of yeah. the in-conference record, yeah. So that was the opportunity that we squandered away last uh, last night. Yeah. What about you? What do you think happens? If we go, if we win out, mm-hmm. I think if we win out, everyone's back on the bandwagon. Everyone's back on the, the Cal is on the upswing. But at the same time, I feel like the bandwagon for. Cal fans saying this year was a fluke year also increases. Um, but, I mean, all in all, I'm in the same general consensus with you. It's It becomes on the upswing. We get some momentum going into recruiting in this, this recruiting class. This recruiting class is looking like to be a pretty strong one. Um, and, in my opinion, arguably, probably, if Dykes you know, doesn't get fired or anything like that in the offseason, is arguably his most important recruiting class. Um, I know last year's was very, very impressive too, um, with Melkis and all that. But for me, for me, year three, right, was Jared's last year here. And you had developed the talent that Tedford left behind, right? And starting last year, you developed the, the recruits that you got in, right? The players you wanted, the guys you wanted. And now... When those guys are year three, right, and then you bring in this 
these freshman classes, you know, these these young guns that'll come in. Because they're, they're going to have to play the sub packages, right? The guys that you bring in this year will ultimately be the backups to the likes of Melkis, to the likes of Demetrius Robertson, to the likes of Stovall, to the likes of Hansen, if Hansen does stay beyond this year. Um, and so how well are you building the depth of the team? Is it, is it going to be another drop-off like we had after all of Tedford's guys left? You know, that, that mass exodus we had with Sonny's first year? And like basically playing with walk-ons and three-star recruits, like it, it can't work that way. the the be- The only way this team gets better and this program gets better is if you constantly bring in recruits. And realistically, realistically, uh, skill positions, like of course, they depend on the stars. But it's also just how you deem the talent fits on the team, and if it fits well and they develop well over the fall camp, the spring, and spring camp, and you see them making that even that initial step as a as a freshman and if that first guy goes down being able to sub in and you don't see a drop off of talent that's when you know this program's headed in the right direction right hmm. but we haven't seen that yet right we see you know one <laughs> let's say Davison and Downs goes down right who's our two starting linebackers probably Hamilton Anoa'i and Darren, Jordan Kunazic or Darren Brown maybe or Darren Brown maybe but he's like a converted safety mm-hmm. right like there's a there's a significant drop off between the starters and then the seconds, especially on defense and probably across the O line, and probably I think across the wide receivers too. Like we have a good group of wide receivers. I think across the board it's pretty good, but we still rely on like six, about six guys. Since Hanson goes down, then another guy is going to have to step up. Do we have enough talent there for that next guy to step up? You know and. That's where it stands for me, is, yeah. I think for me, it ties into the question of, let's say it doesn't go well. All right, let's say we lose out. Well, let's say, like, let's or say realistically let's, we win we win two. two more games. And we scrape by and we get into, or no, wait, we won't even get into a bowl game. Five and seven. Five and seven. I think you look back, when we look back at San Diego State, you look back at Arizona State for sure, and you look, look back at Oregon, Oregon State. State and say, Wow, what a, what a missed opportunity we had right there. But um, I think that for me, what I'm not seeing, as much of the good momentum we have on the offensive side of the ball recruiting is the lack of momentum we have on the defensive side of the ball. We're clearly very good at bringing in talent in our, the, with our DBs. Yeah. Even oh, with yeah. our DBs. But DBs like and Rambo, safeties. Yeah. Rambo's a stud. Like Losing him was a big deal. But anyone that we have, like last year's recruiting class. Hawkins, Psalms, Beck. Yeah, uh, Drayden. Drayden's been playing well too over the last two games. We're set there. Yeah, we're set. Greg Burns is a good recruiter. Yeah. By we the way, have and Darius Hansworth's only a junior too. Yes. Yeah. We have nothing coming in at <laughs> near what we need on the D line or linebacker. At, at linebacker, like linebacker, and that is terrifying because then this is just going to repeat itself. We're going to have a really talented offense, and we're going to have a really, really poor defense. It's not that they have to be, you know, three star, four star, five star. There's actually like Zach Follett, three, two, three star, yeah, three star guy. You know, like these guys like Mike Muhammad, I think, was a borderline four. Like he was yeah. between, he, some had him at three, some had him at a four. Kendrick's probably the same yeah, thing. Yeah. And it's not like they have to be the big ones, they just have to want to come to the program. And we're not really seeing any momentum there at all. And, uh, 
I do wonder, you know, you, you start to see the difference between Spav and what we had with Tony Franklin, particularly recruiting, where all of a sudden you have these recruits that are talking about the relationship that they were able to establish with Spav at all. And you see what can happen when you have someone that can coach the position and recruit for the position. We're stuck with someone that can only coach the position. And right now they're not coaching it particularly effectively. And so that, to me, becomes the change that I'd want to see uh, if you know we're not able to, to get three. I think, honestly, I need three wins, like elite three, four wins. How many games do we have left? Six. Six. Yeah, I need three, four wins here in order to feel like that – I wouldn't want to see a replacement at that position. I just think that that's the one that we've seen it, it, you know. And to be fair, the coach that I'm mentioning without saying his name has had short stints everywhere he's gone, two years or so. And I think that's the same thing that I saw a little bit with Tony was that um, we or the difference between the two now, you know, being what it is, my perspective is better, having experienced Spav, but now being in this position – seeing someone that can actually recruit for the position that they coach and bringing that added element makes the other person seem entirely one-dimensional and a little bit outdated. So that's my... Yeah, I mean, I'm in the same boat with you. Um, I mean, I look at how the defensive coaching staff is is set up currently. We have a D-line coach. We have a safety coach. We have a cornerbacks coach. And then we have DC who also coaches the linebackers. I am not a guru on how to set up coaching staffs, but I don't really think having two DB coaches is a necessity. It's it's a perk because it's definitely helped our DBs improve greatly. Um, but is that necessary? Like, could the money of one coach be spent better else elsewhere? Like, could we get a dedicated linebackers coach? You know, could we... Like, that's what we did, you know, with this year, right? Like, uh, coach uh, Saturay, right, is now the running backs coach, mm-hmm. right? And then we moved all that stuff around and where Spav is only offense and quarterbacks now. He doesn't do the running backs. And so I look at that and I go, could we spend the money elsewhere? Uh, where could the money go? Um, like, could we realign some things to make sure that we have a designated coach for every group? Because... Um, because clearly, clearly, on the offensive side of the ball, your brain is the quarterback, right? On the defensive side of the ball, your brain is your linebackers. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's generally how how football goes. Yep. Sometimes you have the safeties play as your brain, right? But generally, your linebackers are your brain. And if the and we see how well the connection between Spav and the and the QBs have heightened and and grown this offense. The same should be happening if your defensive coordinator is the coach of the linebackers, right? That's the middle of the field. It's you should they should be an extension of the coordinator's mind. And he came in, and when he first came in, he said he's gonna let the let the guys play to their instincts, right? Clearly, that's not working. <laughs> Clearly, playing to their instincts is not helping anybody. And if that's the case, then you need to grind better instincts into them. But stripping the ball. <laughs> And trying to punch it out is not one of them. And so, I don't know. Can you improve the last six games of the season? Probably not. I put it as highly unlikely because of just the sheer amount of time and practice you've put into spring and fall 
you can't change habits that quickly. Um, and that's where we're at right now. Mm-hmm. And if you win four games, you drop 50, but they score 47, and you win those, is that really a win? It might look like that on the, on the sheet, but we, we squeaked it out. That was a shootout, and we just happened to score one more. Yeah, and we even touch on the fact that when you play these teams like Hawaii and you play the team like Oregon State, the teams you're supposed to win, most well-run football organizations give their sophomores a chance to get into the football game who wouldn't ordinarily get the playing time. Yeah. The guys that suit up but generally spend time on the bench. That's usually the case with the first three games of the season. That's what you're aiming to do. We could have done that against Arizona State had we finished the game as any normal football team would have. We could have done that by scheduling a a non-conference or another one more non-conference game. But we decided not to. Yeah, that's true. You play, I mean, it's an NCAA rule, right? If you play Hawaii, regardless of where you play, you're allowed to schedule one more game. I'm glad we took that bye week, though. I think. (sighs) Really? You think so? After Australia? Yeah. I thought I heard that all of them were like, Really happy that they had it. Well, I don't know if it's an FCS opponent. Who who cares? Take them on as long as they're not Eastern Washington. Maybe, yeah. As long as they're not Eastern Washington. But, you know, but I wouldn't have minded an FCS opponent too. You know, no, just that's to, what I, that's my thing is we're not getting anyone in the game right now outside of injuries yeah. that is going to come in. I don't feel any better about next year because we're not seeing the Ross Bowers of the world, and we're not saying, "Hey, that guy looks pretty good." No, or uh, you know. Uh, Billy McCrary. Yeah. <laughs> like, ghosts. Buried. Buried yeah, on the bench. Totally buried on the bench. Or anyone, like, I don't know, even know if I've seen uh, Samisi play a game this year. No. So, I'm just left here being like, the games we're supposed to win, we don't win by a big margin. And even then, we still lose them. The games we're not supposed to win, we're in the game, but everyone's, you know, burning out. What kind of position are we going to be in next year when we have the same thing, a quarterback that has no game experience? Like, even in the games that we've lost, Davis Webb's played every single hole. Yeah. You know, even against Arizona State, we're not putting in the backup to try and get them reps. I Oregon, mean, Oregon is smart enough to at least have done that. Yeah, to move on at quarterback. Mm-hmm. I'm not – I mean, definitely not advocating for that whatsoever, but nope. to to at least give them the experience. Yeah. Yeah, man. I don't know. I think that what you said was really poignant and powerful with you know the position that they coach. I just think it's blatantly obvious, and keep in mind, like my perspective is still removed, but it's very obvious that we haven't had anyone recruiting at the linebacker position significantly for a while because yeah. there isn't anyone that's talented that we're pulling up. We're pulling our own safeties in and saying, hey, play here. And counting on guys like Nathan Broussard, who's eternally injured (laughs) and hoping that they're going to come back. And, like, you know, he made his decision to not play football anymore. And to be that naive to think that that position doesn't need that depth. I mean, thank God we had the depth at DV this year, DV this year too, right? Gershon Pyatt goes out, Demario Drew goes out, right? And now Evan Rambo goes out. I mean, our four safeties are currently Vanderbilt, Rubenzer, Hawkins and Jacob Anderson. Jacob Anderson is a walk-on. Rubenzer is a former quarterback turned safety. And Hawkins redshirted last year. And, and wide receiver. And was a, Yeah, he was an athlete. Like He played wide receiver and, and cornerback, I believe. And now we're having a safety. The only true guy who's ever played safety at that level 
is Kyrie Vanderbilt. And he, even him, he's JC too. Like, yeah, we have no, like, four-year guy that's coming in and, like, is already a junior or senior. And that's what we expected of Griffin Pyde or DeMarnie, right? Yeah, heck, even Rambo. Rambo's amazing. Yeah, he's the point he got yeah, he was a huge loss. He's a huge loss. So, yeah, I mean, the only, the only like, the only good point I can get out of this is right now, the number four outside linebacker in the country is taking a visit to us. Really? Yeah. He tours ACL in, in this year. So he's, so he's taking the, he's of course injured for the year. So he's taking the year off, but because of that, he's, he's doing trips and he's, he said California's on top of his list because he wants to major in business and we have a great business school. And on top of that, like he, he knows that football's going to end one day and he wants an education. So what better place to play football and, and, and do that? But that's the first time in a long time where I've heard like positives defensively. Like remember last year with the two De La Salle guys, mm-hmm. Tagaloa and Devin Asiasi. When we lost, when we didn't get Asiasi and he went to Michigan, I wasn't that sad because our because our offensive recruiting has been amazing. Just because we didn't get one local t- tight end because he wanted to play traditional tight end, that's fine, right? It just the scheme didn't match. But you have one of the best defensive tackles in the country sitting in your backyard, and you can't convince him to come here, like. Really? <laughs> I mean, I mean, who knows what happened behind closed doors, right? You know, during the recruit, during the recruiting stuff. But like, you couldn't even, you couldn't even con- like help get him to consider the school, right? The only reason he he considered it was just because his family's here and it's a close school, and he came on an official visit once, right? That's that's pretty much the only reason. He, there was no intrigue with our school to begin with, and that's the sad part. In terms of defense groups. That's why I was so sad last year. Like, maybe, like if I think if we pulled Tagaloa, I'd say, okay, maybe we can get some momentum with this onto the defensive side of the ball. But it's not working. It's not working. So, Char- hashtag Charlie Strong for defensive coordinator. <laughs> hashtag Charlie Strong. Uh, that's pretty much it. That wraps up. Our, that wraps up our show. Next yeah. week, or whenever our next show is, yeah, will be one with more excitement. Hopefully, I think so. Uh, I think next week we're we'll have a NFL fantasy football guru, NFL Network fantasy football guru, oh, yeah, nice. James Coe on the show. Uh, we might have to do that as a pre-recorded interview that we'll just put into the podcast, just because he's busy on Sundays and we record on a Sunday night. So, you know, if you're a professional fantasy football guy, probably busy on Sundays. Um, so yeah, we'll try to work him into the schedule and get him on. That'll be really interesting uh, to get his feel of Cal football. Uh, I think we, I messaged him and I think we tried to figure out what we wanted to talk about. I asked him, you know, should we talk about some Cal football in the NFL, current Cal football, and then just his time at Cal, his likes, dislikes, you know, what his memories are and stuff. Uh, so he said he's all game for that. So we're good to go. Love it. Go. Maybe we'll have, maybe he'll give some fantasy football tips for, for Cal football. I just need a wide receiver. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that wraps it up for us. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Rob11. That's the numbers, 11HWNG. You can find Andy at Andy, Andy J. Beast, Beast Mode. Mode. Yeah. That's right, Andy J. Beast Mode. You knew it. Yep. And uh, you can find most of our stuff at CaliforniaGoldenBlogs.com. You can find us on Twitter at California uh, at GoldenBlogs. 
And that is my dog barking at Andy. <laughs> it's right. time to go. All right. All right, that wraps it up for us. Um, and as always, go Bears. Go Bears. You know it! Why? You tell the story! Why? You tell the whole damn world this is bear territory! You know it! Why? You tell the story! Why? You tell the whole damn world this is bear territory! You know it! Why? You tell the story! Why? You tell the whole damn world this is bear territory! How good you guys! Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.